So Danny, have you got that intro ready? Oh, glad you asked me about that. Been formulating a lot of ideas, you know, streamlining, you know, in a global sense. Right, Danny, this is the 20th anniversary special. You know how important this podcast is to me. I come into the recording room today to find that this is the fruits of your efforts. Well, don't go through my stuff. Well, would you read, read the first line for, no, for it's uh, my Jack? private stuff. Please, just read the first lines for Jack and Seth. Okay. Imagine a cross between um, an analysis of the greatest sickle of all time and a cheesy show about top tens. You just imagine Danny's Office Odyssey, the new quiz show, devised and hosted by Danny Arnold. Danny, I don't understand this. This is supposed well, to be the 20th anniversary special here. The contestants run upstairs, they get an office quote. Do you know how long these guys have been waiting to hear this episode? We haven't done anything on The Office for almost two years. Well, you know, you're looking at my methods, you know, like there's something missing, like it's... Some words would be useful well, here, Really, Danny. you should be... Some words, Danny, please. I think actions speak louder than words. Right, that's it. I'm going to do the intro myself. That's the action I'm going to take. Stop trying to worm into someone else's intro. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Wernham Blog 20th Anniversary Special Office Podcast. My name's James and with me, under strengths, he's put podcast intros. I wrote that before we did that. (laughs) (laughs) How many takes that took? It's Danny. Well, you know... You know, intros man mainly, but the analysis comes easy as well, so. (laughs) (laughs) And, oi, no professionals, it's Jack. I'm not a professional. (laughs) And I've got a friend who is an alcoholic, and let me tell you, it's no laughing matter. It's Seth. (laughs) And my wife's got that. Alopecia. <laughs> yeah. Not a happy home, right? <laughs> yeah. And his lad's like that one from Rain Man, so... Yeah. <laughs> I'm to it in the first place. <laughs> oh, right. God, welcome back, everybody. It's oh. been how long? What, two years now since we started? Is it that long? No, three years almost since we started, because we did it in... The first episode came out, we recorded it in this very room in August 2018. Yeah. It's now It's now May 2021, so yeah, three years ago. Yeah, yeah in this and room. What's, and what's happened in those last three years? I mean... Well, Oh, nothing much happened last year, did yeah, it? Yeah, I'm not counting last year. Like, literally, for anything. I'm not counting it against my age. I'm not counting it against <laughs> yeah. literally anything. You know, it doesn't count I as just, far as I'm concerned. I was just saying that it's quite, it'd be quite interesting to infuse because we've had all these really big things happening, like Brexit, coronavirus, Trump and everything. But against that, there haven't been the little small things, like you, the small funny things you might think of from 2002 and 2003, like... You know, that funny number one single with the yellow puppet and all that. I can't think of Of all the last 20 years, yeah, Mr. Wazo is the, is Mr. the and, you know, like a crazy frog and everything. I think, I, I can't think. Danny goes, flat Eric, yeah. Brexit, yeah. 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 9-11. Exactly. Yeah. I, can't, I can't think of what fun stuff's happened No, no, all I've got culture references. To be fair, yeah, if you'd like, so imagine if The Office came had come out like last year or the year before or even this year like right. for, for a show that was so built around the little kind of cultural minutiae like yeah things like Flat yeah. Eric and, and Monkey yeah. like what, what would it reference now you can't even think of what it Brexit. reference now exactly. <laughs> well, it would have to wouldn't it That's, and it would be too heavy no one would want it it's hard to think about it actually because you're right There, I'm trying to think of a modern ver- equivalent of The Office in terms of a show that sort of gripped the world in the same way I mean there's loads of great shows but nothing that's really gone global from the UK in that period but I must be wrong that I mean be... not that it's not a, I mean Fleabag for example but it's not the same thing but also think about it we're, we're comparing like something that's almost uncomparable because one of the yeah. reasons we're here talking about this is because this show is almost peerless so actually trying to find something yeah. that compares in a like for like way is, is you're onto a hide into nothing pretty much yeah and all the things that came that are kind of influenced after it just never I mean this country people just do nothing that's they, they haven't crossed over to like America <laughs> they're so specific like whereas the, the office was very English, but it was kind of it was about general office life and it was quite broad. Mm. Whereas 
this country, you could say, oh, well, you know, pe- maybe people in, like, the American kind of, I don't know, rural America would, would kind of relate to it, but I don't think they would because the culture is still so different. Yeah, yeah. Do you think people of today younger generation would even relate to the office anymore i think they do though well we're we're fortunate enough to have quite a big platform on social media and we can look at the demographics and and there is genuinely like a huge surge between the ages of like 20 and 35 but there's quite a lot of under 20s that are still well into it though you'd be surprised the office generation is is, but there's people watching it that are younger than the office and they love Mm. it i don't know whether that's just people of our generation on their kids because i was shown monty python like when i was yeah i wonder if that's people who were 40 when it came out showing it to their kids are they watching it as like a period piece as Danny said, are they watching it retrospectively and saying, oh, what a funny time that was? Almost yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know, because we've talked about this before, that the characters are, there's something about them in the in the, the, the human DNA that, that speaks to people. So even if you haven't been to, worked in an office or even were alive at the time, I still say people can associate with the Gareths and the Tims and the Dawns. Like everyone's been get Tim or Dawn at some point in their life. Absolutely. Here's a scary thought, though. Us talking about The Office being out in 2000 in 2020... It's the same as us looking at a comedy in 2000 from 1980. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, that's crazy. Well, and you know what that comedy was? 40 Towers. Well, only yeah. 40 Horses. Exactly. For, but, but 40 Towers, like, it ended with, in 1979 and it still stands up to this day. Because I think it, just, it taps into, even though it looks ridiculously dated, stylistic and everything, it taps into that, you know, so relate to, but there's something But I wonder we if, all see a bit of ourselves if, a kid, if a kid watching The Office now looks at Office and thinks, oh, I like it, but that looks really old. The way I watched Faulty Towson or Monty Python, I was like, I like it, but it's clearly old. It's really really dated. Whereas I watched The Office, I've been watching Office clips like the last, like over the last couple of weeks and... It looks modern. Like, it's it aged doesn't well. Look, I think it's the, the, ha- the haircuts aren't dated. The clothes aren't dated because it's just suits. The building isn't dated. Do you know what I mean? Like I it still know, looks. Actually, wearing suits to an office that's quite dated. Go into an office. No, but if they made the office now, if you're working at a paper merchant, you'd have to wear a suit. Yeah. You'd have to wear a shirt and tie. You well, certainly wouldn't know. be able to. You'd probably no. be doing it from home now. I guess. Yeah. A, lot of, <laughs> a lot of places have moved into smart casual now. Ties are almost unheard of now. You'd have to wear a shirt though. But how much of offices really changed? I mean, it's a simple premise, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you've got, like, yeah. WeWork now, and, like, you know, they're a bit more slick. But an office is an office. A paper merchant's it's office the same is, is the same. I hadn't, yeah. I hadn't thought... Social dynamics, that's the thing. I hadn't thought yeah. about this question until just now, and it's probably really trite, and we should probably end up cutting out. But how do you think the characters in the office would respond to having to work from home? Like, Brent, how would Brent... Like, oh, I think that's a good question. If he couldn't go out into the office and see everybody, he'd be... Brent would really be... So, he'd be constantly arranging Zoom calls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he'd yeah. be on loads of Zoom yeah. calls. He'd probably be putting loads of stories on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he'd probably be, like, you know, having a drink, and, you know, he'd be, he'd be all happy during the day to the camera, and then you get to, like, 10 o'clock. It'd probably yeah. be the end of the day, and he'd be, like, drinking and just being, like... I'd probably be an absolute nightmare, because he'd, he'd almost see it as his responsibility to engage all of his staff and keep their morale yeah. up. But you can imagine, as soon as the meeting ends and the camera yeah. goes off he sinks because yeah, yeah. there's no one to show off for there's no, not even a camera that's on him so you can imagine him, him he would really struggle with it I think. Tim would be depressed Tim would be sitting staring at the wall doing that yeah, no, he'd be, I think Tim would be loving it. Like this is this is exactly really? what Tim like being being an excuse to work from home. Other would, than Dawn though, <laughs> other than the Dawn thing, because he would miss Dawn. He'd probably yeah. just be texting Dawn or chatting with Dawn all day. But, but he'd be at home with his parents. But yeah, and Lee true, and Dawn true. would be at home with controlling Lee as well. Yeah, 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 well, no, yeah Lee, Lee and, and Dawn's yeah. relationship Lee would get really. Yeah, dark. He would be on furlough. Yeah, Lee. Yeah, down the pub with Taffy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lee, Lee would. No, he would be in the pub. Lee would definitely think the whole thing's a conspiracy theory. Yeah, there's no doubt in mind about It's a con, isn't it? How <laughs> <laughs> so many people died today? And take it out, move. You're gonna. Yeah. <laughs> Ga- Gareth would absolutely be a conspiracy theorist. Gareth would yeah. be a yeah, COVID marshal. Gareth. 
Yeah, Gareth yes, would be on the yes, street. Yes, he wouldn't yes, be an anti-vaxxer. Yes. He'd be oh, opposite. Yeah. He'd be yeah. Did I tell you guys, right, when the COVID thing first started off, I convinced Danny that I'd volunteered as a COVID marshal. <laughs> oh, I remember because I helped you convince him. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I Can you believe James is actually I phoned up like three of his friends. I always ended our friendships. I genuinely thought to myself, if he's a COVID marshal, my values are just too incompatible with his. We might as well. You've got with it, yeah. Right. So here we go guys, the 20th anniversary, 20 years, we've picked 20 special moments from The Office and we picked them between us, we picked, uh, we had a bit of back and forth didn't we guys about which ones we thought felt made the cut. Yeah, we had a bit of back and forth about the concept, you know, a bit reductionist didn't it? <laughs> 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 yeah. well, it's not going to be one of those cheesy awful lift shows. Uh, lift shows? List <laughs> shows. The funny smell in the list. Right, right, yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, right, the point is, pieces. we've managed to get 20 of the best moments, right? And we oh, put a poll yeah. out, so most of you guys listening will have oh. hopefully seen this poll and will have voted on them. So we've been yeah, able we had to... our Twitter followers voting for it. Yeah, I do find like the activity of trying to like rank things is actually incredibly tedious. Like if someone asks me for my top ten songs, I'm just like you love like negatively ranking. Things. <laughs> That's yeah, like anyway, one of your favourite things. Like, again, I don't do that either, man. I just, I just, it was something I did when I was younger to be edgy and he's winding you up. Yeah, he yeah. rank you off. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so we've established Gaddy doesn't prove yeah, this yeah, exactly. that. Whatever. <laughs> the point is, we've got these now whittled down via the public into a top 10. A definitive top 10 best moments from The Office. And to give this show a bit of structure that it fucking desperately needs, <laughs> we're going to run through these points one by so, one. So, so can we have a look at a bit of the feedback? Because I was some of the, the popular opinion. Uh, about... Yeah, you put me on the spot there because I uh, wasn't expecting you to say that. You backed me into a corner and I acted. <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, a lot of the comments, now that I'm looking at it, a lot of the comments are stuff like, you know, you missed this one, you missed that one, but, you know, basically just talking about why they love the show. Somebody had something really interesting to say about the fact that The Office touches on something we didn't talk about much, which is about um, the male growth and sort of the, the sort of hierarchical structures that you've that got in a, work yeah. or in a work on, working office and stuff like that. And um, um, Ricky DeVace has touched on that. But also how like people like Finchie and Neil play into that. And obviously we talked about them as like antagonists, but beyond that, there's quite a sort of male-centric development and element to it, which is an interesting point. Ricky Gervais has talked about um, how like men never grow up. He's mentioned that in his, one of his documentaries. Stand up straight with your shoulders back. Yeah. <laughs> Jordan yeah, Peterson. Well, just for, for the benefit of anyone that doesn't know, Jordan Peterson, James' <laughs> new favourite person. Yeah, he's been spending the last year telling me to stand up straight and clean my room. Well, mainly just to clean your room, mate. <laughs> yeah. like, why do you think we're not podcasting? Yeah, I, couldn't, I couldn't be bothered. So yeah. I could... There's a nasty smell in the lift. Yeah. 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 So I've decided to move out instead because I'm lazy, so yeah. I'll just I'll just move and so rather than clean stuff. your bedroom, you yeah, move, you, let someone else clean it. you heard it here first, people. Yeah. Speaking of male growth, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but it's true. It's There's true. a new species in Danny's bed. <laughs> you find a new, a new species under it. You find a new species if you looked in Danny's bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's quite interesting, you know, what he says about you know how men are always boys, and the, the whole quiz episode was about that. You know, the, the okay. lack of male development, the fact that well, you know you get a load of men doing something competitive like and they're like Doctor Wanky still like twelve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we, we talked about that, or whatever. and the absence of and, and, and Dawn being in that episode, and actually she was the one that sort of split the difference and tried to bring it back down to earth, yeah. didn't she, in that episode? Yeah. So that was a, a good example, actually, of what, of what this guy's saying. The guy that said it was Josh, Josh from Surrey. So there's a go. Hi, Hi Josh. Josh. Hi, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> I think generally our top 20 that we asked our viewers to whittle down to their top 10, I think our top 20 was pretty, a pretty, I think a pretty definitive, like... Yeah. Yeah, we weren't just going for, for for quotes. It was like the best moments. It wasn't yeah. the funniest. Yeah, and moments. I think it wasn't the best quotes. It was like the the, icon, the, the most iconic, memorable series-defining yes. moments. And I think iconic is the important point to be highlighted because because it, it wasn't necessarily the funniest pieces or the yeah. best quotes. The yeah. idea was that they were 
the, the, the iconic moments that shaped the characters or changed the trajectory of the yeah. show and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, without wanting to go too deep into it, we've got a, a list of them. Now, you guys don't know what this final luck cut is going to be either, so no, you have no, no idea. So this like and one thing I can tell you as well is that the top three have changed like several times in the in the running, so they're really, really tight. So me, Jack and Danny, me being Seth, have not seen these before. Well, so we, just don't know what, well we don't know what order the top ten is yeah, in. Yeah, James yeah. knows, so we're doing te ten, <laughs> ten, to, ten to one. Yeah, ten yeah. to one, yeah. Number ten. Well, there's good news and bad news. The bad news is... Neil will be taking over both branches and some of you will lose your jobs, yeah. I know, I know. Gutting, gutting. On a more positive note, the good news is I've been promoted. So, every cloud. You still thinking about the bad news, aren't you? It's not good news, David. It's only bad news and irrelevant news. Yeah, that's not a phrase, though, is it? I couldn't come out and go, oh, I've got some bad news and some irrelevant news. Okay, so that's number ten. Interesting. Absolutely. That, that's a that, that's a good kind of intro like introduction to this top ten, I think. Mm. I think it's like I think it hits the iconic phrase perfectly as well because yeah. this is like one of the first moments that you you see Brent make that decision around which mm. way he's going to go with this, whether he's going to try and be people's friends or whether or not. It's he's quite gonna... pivotal, really, isn't it? Yeah. Pivotal moment storyline wise. Two great quotes. Not only is it, it's not just the bad news and irrelevant news, but it's also the you're not going to lose your job. You're not going to lose your job. You know, you're not going to lose your job. Two, two most kind of iconic, kind of like memorable quotes. Plus, it's nice to see Malcolm get a bit of a oh. paste in, isn't it? I always love to see Malcolm get his comeuppance. <laughs> I was thinking a few minutes earlier, he's been like, having his little digs in there, being like, oh yeah, it's just bad news and irrelevant news, having his little hot take. And then two seconds later, he's in his place. And yeah, I've got no sympathy for him because he's a dick. <laughs> we had quite a lot of Malcolm hatred the first time round, didn't we? But, yeah. Didn't you call him out as well? Like the we called him out. No, yeah. you did. I didn't do that. And we tried to get him on the podcast. Did we? Someone yeah, said yeah. we shall be. I wonder, that was the, your... I wonder what the actor thinks about. Like he was quite a big part of series one, mm. and then they kind of didn't bring That's him back true. for series. They could have brought him back for series two. They didn't have to fire him. Obviously, it makes more sense realistically that within the story of the show, they would have he would have been let go by Brent, but. In terms of like, you know, you, as a character, you would have as a thought, foil. That, you would have thought, but yeah, as an actor as well, Merchant and Gervais would have wanted to bring him back. But also, one thing we never got to see was because you can imagine how how funny and interesting it would have been if Malcolm had been there at the same time as Neil. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Because he would have been like grassing David up, left, right, and centre, well smarmy with Neil. Whose decision do you think it was to kind of make all the cuts? It's not. I mean, Brent I wouldn't. Think... Brent wouldn't have been the one to decide that Malcolm had the cut. No, but he would. But he knew. If, right. if he's got two it, names it on the imposed... list, though, one of them's Malcolm. <laughs> yeah. It was imposed upon him. <laughs> yeah. Imposed upon him. And, and as the remaining like manager, he would have kind of been told to submit a list of. Like, mm. Yeah, it would have been all too easy for him to have just decided Malcolm over someone like Jamie. Who kept his head maybe, down. And he yeah. clearly already Probably. decided. He clearly, clearly already had. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's basically true. saying you're definitely going to yeah. get fired. No matter what happens, you're getting fired. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Opportunity knocks. <basically. laughs> just the way he goes around and. and yeah, oh, it's so no one, so no wonder Malcolm's pissed off at the party afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame him to be honest. No wonder he stitches him up. He's probably the second most thrown under the bus character after Karen Roper. I was going to say. Yeah, that's at the same time, one. I find it hard to sympathise because he just strikes me as one of those like haggard old, you know, like fifty-something, been in his job for too long, thinks he owns a place, 
arrogant guys and he's probably not going to get another job but to be fair well. Malcolm's like he's really sour he's a sour person but people say and Tim's he's a bit dead inside he's a bit, if you get on well with the Swindon lot actually maybe people say Tim's the everyman right but actually to be honest most people who go to work would probably just like to Malcolm. get on with their work and just get the job done go home Everybody, if everything runs efficiently, efficiently everything's quicker and better and easier Malcolm's just trying to get his job done really he's there with this guy that's trying to be a comedian rather than his yeah. boss I bet, around do you know time. what I mean but at the same time he's a, you could say the same as Swindon lot but the other side of it is they are a bit dead inside but if you're not into the comedy Brent you, you don't want to have a laugh well what's this, what the work though it, you know Brent's comedy probably makes Malcolm's life harder than if he was just a good straight and narrow boss yeah <laughs> And a guy like Malcolm, he's probably been working. Yeah, well, not just me. For <laughs> I think that's a lot of people. A guy like Malcolm has probably been working at the company longer than Brent has. Yeah, Brent's yeah exactly. Been, you know, exactly. Do you think Malcolm's an old? Uh, yeah. real... Malcolm's been there since he was nineteen. Do you think <laughs> Malcolm, I mean, yeah. You think Malcolm left school. <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. Went to at some point or... in the seventies, joined Wernham. He probably worked himself up from the warehouse. That's why he's friends with Dennis. A young Malcolm walked into the Wernham Hog office. Can we come to a place after all our Malcolm hate? Yeah, yeah. We're maybe feeling a little bit of compassion for him because maybe he thought he was going to get the golden handshake after th- after a long career at Wernham Hog and then suddenly yeah. his great character well, exactly, that's, yeah. fucking around making but jokes all the time and he, suddenly it's all, it's all changed and he has to leave. Possibly. What's he going to do? Maybe and he's got family. Maybe he's got... You know, I, suddenly feel, I suddenly feel empathy. I don't feel but bad there's a lesson that. there as well though. If he had just adapted and put up with Brent then he would have uh, not been fired. When we spoke to Ewan, didn't he say something about one of the main characters that was expecting something in the second series, didn't get it, and they left on sort of semi-bad terms, actually. Maybe that was Malcolm. Maybe it was Malcolm. So, so that, was number, that was number 10, right? So yeah, now we're into good, the inside. That's a good, that's a good, that gives us a barometer of where we're okay. at. And nice yeah. to see that Malcolm got a little bit of looking in this top 10. Yeah. yeah. Okay, now we are inside number 9. We all wake up and we go, oh, I ache. I'm not 18 anymore, you know. I'm 30 now, I'm, th- you know, I'm in my 30s, I'm not... But... So what? At least I've got my health. And if you haven't got your health, if you've got one leg, at least I haven't got two legs missing. And if you have lost both legs and both arms, just go, at least I'm not dead. I'd rather be dead in that situation, to be honest. I'm not saying people like that should be, you know, put down. I'm saying that in my life, I'd rather not live without arms and legs because... You know, I'm just getting into yoga, for one thing. So, in my opinion, so. Oh, that guy! <laughs> I love that idea. Such a good punchline. Just getting into yoga. So, uh, so number nine is Brent's motivational speech. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I which, that so we higher. and we just only heard a little snippet of it, but obviously yeah. the whole thing is like a five. Minute. I was going to say some of these clips. There's, there's, there. So it must have been so difficult to try and cut the best part of it because it, you're right. It goes on for like five, ten minutes. Yeah, and the whole thing. I mean, if I'm, if you're taking into account that whole five minute bit, I would have thought I think it should be higher personally. But yeah, the listeners well, have spoken. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, you can't argue with that. I mean, it, the thing is, it's up against such competition. So, you know, yeah, so it's so hard to. I mean, we found just whittling it down to 20, and then mm, now whittling really it down to 10. I mean, I can't even imagine what number one would be. But yeah, this speech is just. I mean, this is the, the reason this is obviously up there in, in the top 10, because there's so many, by the way, that didn't even make it into top 10. Yeah, obviously, surprising ones. Yeah, yeah, some really surprising ones. But this is quite the culmination of two episodes, don't forget. Because yeah. we've had this building up, like for two episodes worth, to say, oh, he's going to do this. It's, it goes from being expert speakers to celebrity speakers, and, and then before you know it, he's there, and, you know, the rock star that he thinks he is. <laughs> Throughout the whole series, we see kind of like. He, he wants to be a showman. He wants to be the popular one. He wants to be an yeah. entertainer. But we also see how kind of there's that kind of vulnerability, and sometimes he gets embarrassed, and sometimes he kind of like pulls back. 
but then in this, when he's in front of a, a, a group of like complete strangers, he's got that confidence, doesn't he? Do you know what I mean? Like he, he just is, goes all out. He has got that performance side of it, that performer side of him. And this is after the speech to the Swindon lot, yeah. by the way. So on that speech to the Swindon lot, he hit that wall, didn't he? And he had that real kind of mm. moment of realization, thinking, "Oh fuck, I'm not as funny as I think I am." But then on this, he comes out. Absolutely, like spinning. Like, but I, but I can't think, believe his luck. But, but I think his been. ego gets bolstered again by the fact that they came in to, to yeah, speak to him. That's what it is. Yeah, and yeah. with the Swindon lot, he's put it down in his head. He's compartmentalised mm. that. It's like that's Neil. That's the Swindon lot. They're a miserable bunch of slugs, which is yeah. kind of true. <laughs> and now he's got this new opportunity. His ego has been bolstered. Danny, where's the scene rank for you? Well, I'd, I'd say yeah, again, one of my favourite episodes, and probably yeah, one of my favourite scenes. But especially like the, for me, the very beginning is the funniest bit when he tells them all to get out. Go on, I'll open the door for you, yeah? If you don't want to make it, go now, yeah? Save us all a bit of time, yeah? If you don't think you can cut it. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the just, thing, he's, there's, there's so many great moments. In his head, he's probably imagined that as like a great bit that'll be yeah, like, yeah, wow, yeah. I'll really flirt with this. Oh, yeah, no, he's got to blow them away. From, <laughs> yeah. Got and them by the jaffers. And then they're all looking at me unimpressed and the cleaning lady. The cleaning lady, yeah. Have you finished it? No. I'm in the... You're right. That's so true because he, he's 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 introducing everybody yeah. to his new management style, his unique management style yeah. that is actually just going to blow the lid off this whole thing. Like all of these speakers that they have, none of them can touch him. He's yeah, because so he's got this cool new out angle. there and new and revolutionary. Yeah. But this is the thing. Like this is exactly this is the peak of Brent's like life. Basically, this is exactly yeah, what yeah, he wanted. Yeah. This is exactly what he's been wanting. He's been wanting to be like have everyone just kind of watching Waiting, him trying to get on advi- hanging on his every word to try and get management advice from him which is kind of what his USP is this is his two nights so, in the, Nebworth this yeah, is the, yeah 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 absolutely yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's a great way of thinking about it <laughs> yeah he just thinks he's presenting like the, the epitome of postmodern management like some yeah, yeah just some, by the way he's dressed some yeah. new I'll go in and I'll be like their friend their boss they'll be yeah. they'll be blown away they have yeah. no idea you could have a trilogy this, man. yeah you know? there's a curveball of get out they're all going to go <gasps> what is this? Well, he thinks he's Steve Jobs. He thinks he's Richard yeah. Branson. Yeah, yeah. Steve this, Jobs. This is another Perfect. thing where it's aged a bit because I think nowadays, actually, a boss walking in with a white t-shirt and jeans wouldn't actually look that weird. No, it'd just be yeah. normal. Exactly. Yeah. Just so maybe he was quite wet, um, you know think... revolutionary. In well, that's, that's why I was thinking yeah. of Steve Jobs for jeans, especially. Yeah. Now, if, if he just had it like a black turtleneck yeah, yeah. <laughs> and those jeans, it works with the turtleneck. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight. I've had to go at Speedway. Have you? Yep. Right, well, I was doing it once, and um, I was bombing it round, and some idiot had left, like, a, a ramp thing out. Litter bugs. I could see the people were going, oh, my God, if that guy hits that ramp going at that speed, he's definitely dead. I hit the ramp, I took off in the air, I turned over in the air, and they were going, well, he's definitely dead now. I landed on my wheels, pulled over and said, what were you worried about? <laughs> I mean, this is just a perfect example of how. I mean, you had the four, the four core characters, didn't you? But sometimes they could just bring in these more yeah. characters. Yeah, and they're but all just brilliant. Perfectly encapsulated a, a, a kind mm. of like someone who we all know. Like you everyone's know, had everyone's, a Simon. Yeah, in their yeah, life, yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of just antagonistic. Like yeah. he, he's, you know, just, like, even Gareth knows that Simon, but he's at like the bottom of the food chain. Mm. But like when he's talking to him, he can't help but be kind of like subservient and lower than mm. him. Kind of thing. But it's just so perfect with Tim in the background. The, the shot, even just the shot, is set up so perfectly. Yeah. You've got these sort of these three sections vertically structured <laughs> yeah. in the, in the scene. But he's just got this kind of like perfect. giant, kind of like a kind of granite, kind of like oaf of a man in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, 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 what's really amazing. 
about the offices, how little characters like this are brought in, but they're they're so iconic in themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Simon the IT guy is, I mean, this is what number seven, and he's mentioned frequently as like, oh, it's such a classic. But, but to be fair, this, tiny little. What I really like about this kind of character is that Simon comes in, and he's clearly the antagonist. But he he doesn't get any kind of comeuppance. He comes in, he's an arsehole, he's a bullshitter, you're not supposed to like him. He gets the last word on Tim, he embarrasses Tim, mm. and then he's gone. Like, yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. There's no kind of like, oh, we're going to bring in this baddie for the episode and then show him up, and so then Tim can come out looking good. He's got he's no like, arc. No, no, it's life. He comes in, he kind of embarrasses Tim, Tim's a loser. He's got, <laughs> Simon no, he's got no character arc. He just yeah, comes yeah. in and he's just, he just is who he is. Yeah, yeah. Which is even more representative of real life, that not everyone has this character arc. You know, people well, yeah, just yeah. come in and they just annoy you. And yeah, go, sometimes you know? people yeah. get the better of you for no yeah, good reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Number seven, Danny's, your favourite one. Oh, it's a good job Eric Hitchmo isn't here. Because you know what he'd say? I don't agree with that in the workplace, wouldn't he? Oh, imagine if uh, Eric was a Los Angeles detective. Be a bit weird, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, one final thing. My wife loves you, but I don't agree with that in the workplace, wouldn't it? What's that, Eric? You've given up being a Los Angeles detective and you've started running a hotel in Torquay? Yes! Don't mention the war. I mentioned it once, but I think I got away with it. I don't agree with that in the workplace. <laughs> I don't agree with that in the workplace. Do you not know who Eric Hitchmo is? Who's been to the Coventry Conference? Right. So, do you not know Eric Hitchmo? Well, yeah, but I didn't know he talked like that. He talks exactly like that. Don't he, Gareth? I prefer the stuff you do about his little hand. I don't do stuff about his little hand. No. You do the wanking claw. No. Don't. Um, thank, thanks, David. Thank huh? You. Thanks. Whatever. Just... It's only number funniest seven. Four, the funniest four minutes this could, it, ever. This could be a number two, maybe even number yeah. one. This is the thing, man. So many of them could be, like, higher than they are. This, it's so think, ridiculous. I think the Swindon speech is so but, iconic. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I think... That's the way it works. Danny, you think, you think, you think it's the, mo the funniest moment, don't you? I think it's the funniest bit, yeah. And I think... Thing. You're, I think you're so can you think right, of six but. moments that are better than this, more iconic? This is the thing. That's why this well, list is, is so difficult. See, now, that that's kind of inconsistent with a motivational speech, because there, his... His self-awareness is like razor sharp. I'll tell you exactly why. Because he's sitting next to Neil. Mm, he's yeah. so like that's what it is. He's not on his own. He hasn't got the confidence because he knows that Neil's looking over his shoulder. He's, try really he's game, trying too it? hard. No, but not also, himself. this is a two-way dynamic. This needs him to make the joke and them to laugh in order to be a, 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 a feedback loop that yeah, works. Oh, yeah. With the other thing, this, the the motivation. It wasn't speech, jokes. It he was... can just pass on. Like the Pope doesn't get much feedback like from the from yeah, the crowd yeah. when he's doing his sermons, yeah. does he? This is the thing. He, so th that's a different scenario he, he is one-way traffic whereas this yeah, he's very aware now. he's very aware that he's not getting the yeah i don't know why i chose the point he's not getting the feedback he think he takes it as like awed silence like yeah this guy's yeah. amazing we're really all just but actually him. actually you know the, the the motivational speech is not meant to be funny either well that's the thing so yeah. he, like, as you say danny it's almost like the motivational speech he might be thinking it's an awed silence whereas like, this time he's shouting <laughs> and not getting an echo that's yeah, the problem but there's nothing coming back interestingly i actually think this is more successful at what it does than the motivational speech because yeah. if you look carefully you can see quite a few of them almost breaking out into a laugh the thing yeah, is only because yeah. of how cringy it but is, to be right? fair, he's not putting people at ease <laughs> but think about it though, think about it right what the, the purpose of this is to welcome in the new people yeah right and nothing really solidifies a group two new groups other than than, than bonding over something that they, they share which is even, potentially yeah. an awkward boss yeah, yeah and they find how funny it is so actually he might have fallen on his sword in order to achieve it, but I bet you this has made some ties with the Swindon lot and the Svetlock, because they would look at each other afterwards and say, yeah, he's always like that. that? And they yeah. would say, yeah, he is, yeah, that's David. And then they would move on and, and have something to have a laugh about. 
But you have to remember as well, though, if this happened to us in real life, right, Danny, you've said before, like, if you had a boss like David Brent, if you watched one of your bosses (laughs) give the Swindon speech, you'd absolutely love it, right? I'd be in hysterics. Right, but... I'd be in hysterics laughing at that. It's easy to say that now, having been... (laughs) conditioned and taught by the TV show The Office to think this kind of thing is funny, right? But this is a world in which The Office, the TV show, doesn't exist. Yeah. Trudy and Oliver and all the other Swindon lot they're in a yeah. they're they're in a in a pre they're in like I don't know ninety nine two thousand they're in a pre office world where we like that <laughs> kind of that, that kind of awkward humor wasn't <laughs> funny when this came out people didn't like the awkward humor didn't they it, it, it obviously caught away but some people loved like it, it. some people like just can't watch the awkward humor so imagine yeah. back in back in this day when there wasn't like a David Brent archetype. There'd be people who would watch this speech in real life and just think, I don't, this is just, I don't want to watch this. This, is, this isn't funny. Obviously, us all now would watch it and think this is absolutely brilliant. I think my reaction is, I, I would have a little giggle at the, you know, coming over a little queer <laughs> and, the, and the, have a paper shop to go away. I would have a, a guilty little laugh. But to be fair, if you look at them closely, because every time I do this, I see something new every time I watch this scene. I just saw Neil and he looked like he was like almost laughing a little bit at points. Yeah. I, I mean, to be fair, that touches on the other thing, which is, you know, you have to be a very good actor not to break and laugh. And oh, yeah. I, I actually think Especially with so many it, people though. in the room. Didn't he? Again, you insulted us something about this, right? That they had to clear the room in this scene. He had to do yeah, it to yeah, nobody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually, that's why eventually in the end of this scene, there's nobody in the room. Yeah, somebody... always had to be there, clearly. Yeah, because <laughs> somebody went at one point or another. So, you know, yeah. as you would. Yeah. But also, I remember having yeah. watched it back. This is the kind of the birth of the Brent that we that we kind of as yes. think of as Brent. In series one he was a bit more aggressive. He was a, a bit, bit more, more cocky. He was a bit more cocky, yeah. He would have kind of just blustered through this speech without getting awkward. He didn't have that vulnerability of feeling awkward. This is the where, first time he's really unsure yeah, of himself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's That's the breaking the thing, yeah. of his ego. It's the beginning of yeah, the yeah. end. Really. And, and which is what we now think of as as Brent behaviour. This like, is the, basically the beginning of the end of Brent. Yeah, to me, blog. this is why series oh. two this is why series <laughs> two is such a great series, because it does have that vulnerability. That, 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 that jeopardy of a character yeah. do you know what I mean where he, he has to go through the ringer like that and he yeah. comes out a different guy and really struggles to cope whereas in the first series he's just having so much fun it, yeah and it, it, there's there's more pathos there's more to lose there's more that his, gets lost he has his dark night of the soul yeah 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 and also it's just bloody hilarious and what, <laughs> and what a performance by, by Gervais like he, he's, he's reaching mm. he's going through he's putting himself through the ringer with this performance like he's kind of like reaching every kind of peak and valley with it you could say that the this is, these are kind of scenes that elevate the David Brent character from like a funny character to like a Basil Fawlty level, which is funny because he's actually impersonating Basil Fawlty. Yeah, 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 <laughs> he's actually yeah, yeah, at the yeah. same time simultaneously becoming that iconic. Yeah. In the history of kind of pop culture. Oh, he absolutely is. I think he's he's higher than I would say he's higher than Basil. I mean, it's weird because it's weird because obviously Basil Fawlty was kind of before we were even born. So like we were born into a world where Basil Fawlty is a classic iconic British character, and we obviously lived through through Brent and kind of like him becoming this kind of like elevated character so it's hard to think like oh yeah he's actually just one of the classic comedy characters mm. because you, you, because he, to us he seems so new because mm, he's in our lifetime mm, but yeah. it's been 20 years now and there, there's no doubt he is absolutely one of the he's top top of five the... classic British comedy characters yeah agreed he's and partly a lot of, in no small part because of that speech I think do you think Basil Fawlty was like the Brent of his 
of his day. Do you mean in terms of cult- I mean culturally? I mean in terms of culturally how yeah, people yeah, yeah, view yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's a Basil Forty character you want it, maybe. <laughs> so that's yeah, why I, I remember like, when I was like 10 years old before I watched The Office, when in like 97, 98, like, I think Faulty Towers must have just come out on VHS or whatever. My dad got it, sat me down, we watched yeah. it, and I already knew, like, okay, this is classic TV show, yeah. Faulty Towers. So that's why I think it's interesting that he, he does his Basil Forty impression, because it's almost like the baton's being passed over to yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Basil Forty. <laughs> Not that John Cleese had any hand in that. No, <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, 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 no,
deserves to be above the motivational it's speech very, or the Swindon speech. But it is very iconic, though. It's yeah, one of the things it is, people think of. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's great. Don't get me wrong. I love this. but I'm gonna... I am surprised it's above the Swindon speech. I actually thought in my head that Swindon speech was a number one contender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, I think. Well, I can see how the Swindon speech, for example, or the motivational speech, you think about it in terms of the episode as a whole, right? Because you think about that episode... And then the kind of that scene comes into it. This is essentially just a sketch. This could, we, this could yeah, be a Monty, yeah, yeah. this could just be a Monty Python yeah, sketch. Sure. It works on its own. You can just cut this out and show it to someone on its own. Yes, that's you don't, true. You don't have to watch. It doesn't episode. have to be Brent. You don't either, even have really. to watch The Office. It doesn't have to be Brent. Yeah, because Brent is very much taking a back seat in this scene. Yeah, like, Brent is actually, and it works. Like it, he's, yeah, he's handing yeah. it over to another character. Brent, so Brent's can, yeah, and Brent is very out of his normal character there. He's yeah, actually yeah. the frustrated kind of yeah. Oh, Maybe that's why it stands out by contrast, though. I, I'd say this is like the most iconic Keith moment, but for yeah, sure. For Keith, Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I would say so. This is where they basically kind of just given given uh, you and Macintosh a layup and said, like, you just kind yeah. of like run home with it. Do you know what it's I mean? the only time Brent has a run for his money as yeah. well. Like, the only time he's exasperated and is like sick exactly. of someone. Exactly. And he's know? essentially got, he's kind of speechless. Yeah, he kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. And, and, and he can't, yeah, he's got no kind of comeback. He hasn't. You can't draw on any of his kind of previous management experience to kind of like yeah. make a positive out of it. Yeah, I, I don't know if we were, I was watching it with you guys, but I remember seeing a clip or something that was promoting The Office, like and promoting the character of David Brent, and they chose this scene as like the exasperated boss, David Brent. It's like they've chosen one scene and it's not that does not represent him yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's enough of those rubbish kind of top ten countdown things, isn't there? That the office is probably on. It was something like that, Jack. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. looked like, make look like the show was about Keith. Oh, uh, you're not one of those awful top ten countdowns. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But I couldn't believe <laughs> no. that they managed to choose the, the one scene, the one scene that doesn't represent him at all. Is oh. like the rest of the show. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's the alternative view. Maybe this does represent him, and the rest of the show doesn't, as per Stitch Up Corner. Oh, god then. Well, you know, this we is have the We need the jingle, Danny. We need, we need the yeah. jingle. Stitch up. It was a stitch up. <laughs> <laughs> so stitch up corner is back in action. <laughs> yeah. Is this another scene? We never picked up on this. The first yeah, we didn't think about that. Yeah. Could, because here is a scene of him doing trying to do a professional appraisal, being exasperated by his useless employee, and maybe this is what he's like a lot of the time. You know, but we didn't get to we see just that. Don't see it because you know they cut it. That's how TV works. I think but one, one thing I wonder, actually, <laughs> I'm just wondering this, why wasn't Keith made redundant? He strikes me as like the first person you'd turf out. Yeah, he admitted that it's a stopgap It's grotesque, job. isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, he's probably pretty rubbish at it. He's the epitome of flying below the radar. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and that's kind of one of the great things about the scene. It kind of represents... The, the Keith character is actually quite pivotal and quite important in the office. Like, obviously, he's not one of the main four. But, yeah, he represents that kind of bored monotony of... He does, more, yeah. more so than Tim, he represents that kind of... He, and especially in this particular scene. That's a very good He point. represents that bored monotony And he represents of, of it in work. a very physical way. He's yeah. a f- physical embodiment of bored monotony. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and that kind of, like, kind of just boring, bland sterile corporate environment absolutely and when you think about those characters in places you work they do fly under the radar they're not the people who are shaking anything up yeah. so they, they do kind of just get ignored and now ah, they're alright they just get on with and someone like him will float to his golden handshake clearly easier yeah. than Malcolm because Malcolm's roughly feathers yeah yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So there's a lesson, a lesson, kids. If you just start in work, yeah. be, like, <laughs> be Keith. like Keith. What yeah. would Keith do? But yeah, yeah but, but that is kind of what it is. Yeah, and it's like, well, and, and the main thing, and then you watch something like, like you know, in life, you could, you might yeah. even be a Keith and you don't realise it, but you watch something like this and you just think to yourself, is this what I want to be? Do I want to be just someone kind of who's clearly bored with their life? Mm. People are bored with you. You're, you're going home and you're watching Pete practice with your life. Like, mm. is that and what you want? Rather, you'd rather be playing music, being in a band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Number five, free love on the free love freeway. Free love on the free love freeway. The love is free and the freeway is long. I've got some hot love on the hot love highway. And going home because my baby's gone. She's not dead. Long time later, see a cowboy crying. He says, hey, buddy, what can I do? Says, I lived a good life about a, about a thousand women. I said, well, why the tears? He says, because none of them was you. What, you? No, he's looking at a photograph. Right. Of you? No, of his girlfriend. The, the video would have shown up. Yeah, yeah, he sounds a bit gay at the moment. It's not gay. No. Free love on the free love freeway. The love is free and the freeway is long. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> I, I, I would be tempted to say this is... Possibly, I've forgotten what some of the rest of the list, but I think that might be the best moment. What so far? Those were like, no, no, no. I think the hot love. I think this song, hot love hot highway, love. free love, free, free love, free love, freeway, free is the best <laughs> office moment. Well, I'd we were watching, we okay. were watching a documentary earlier about you know behind the scenes of the office, and the, you know Lucy Davis and a couple of other people were saying that that was their favourite. Yeah, scene. yeah, yeah. They, they were, weren't yeah, they? They loved it. It's just, and it's just if you want one image to capture the office, there's these three. You got Gareth, you got Tim, you got Brent, and Brent's got his guitar. You got Tim looking exasperated. You got Gareth in the middle looking up at David. It's like the perfect encapsulation. And yeah. It's just kind they're of all there in their roles. Yeah, yeah, and they've got this great kind of like shot of just the three of them interacting. If there's no, there's no cutting away. It's just allowing these three who are kind of so clearly comfortable in their characters to kind of just interact. Yeah. And the and the, the com and the timing, and the choreography of it is just brilliant. Especially when uh, Brent just goes, "He's yes. not gay." He's straight back into drumming. <laughs> what I like about Tim's face is because he managed to convey so much with his facial expressions. They all do. They're all brilliant at that. But Tim's kind of dis displaying this kind of shock. Half of him like this is ridiculous. Another part of him thinking he's actually quite good. Yeah. Like, yeah. It just looks like this is a real song. It's ridiculous, but he's quite good at playing it. He's actually. It would have been much less funny if he'd been. A crap musician. Yeah, they're not comedy songs. Are they? They're not. Stu they're not stupid songs. He's yeah, actually, actually quite, quite competent. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but the funny, the, the, the comedy comes from the sincerity with which he's playing. The mm. sincerity and the fact that the inappropriateness of the yeah. forum. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. But also, yeah. this there's not really any antagonism between Gareth and Tim here. They're actually he sort of pats him on the back. They both get into it, and before you know it, three of our favourite characters on the show are all harmonising. Well, exactly. That's so what I mean. So yeah, there's, there's, there's a softening. sort of symbolism yeah, in that. Yeah. And actually, that, that, that perfect harmony between these three characters. And is, that barely ever happens in the show. Yeah, exactly. Like the only one I can, the only other one I can think on is is Manumana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And then, like you're saying, James, they're harmonising there for a moment, but com comedically they harmonise perfectly by yeah. not harmonising by being yeah. like, <laughs> with each other. You they're know. malleable, you know, team individuality, I call it. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I think that the, 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 I think it, this just re also represents the, the. I think it's agreed the number one best episode. The training. Oh yeah, episode. I think so. I, I mean, I'd like to hear anybody's arguments to say uh, there's a better it's, episode. That's pretty straightforward in a sense. But this is only number five. Yeah, yeah, this is number I'm, five. I'm really, so really there's... scratching my head now about what the top five is. We're really oh, interested in this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is a another conversation. moment. There's another moment from this very episode which could make it in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah, know, yeah. So. There's a couple from this episode that could easily make it in, to be fair. I mean, <laughs> if, if it was me, I'd be doing the Who Cares Wins and. Um, yeah, know, they're also. I know you, but, yeah, but, but, but that's, that's my little weird niece funny No, but it's, it's hard to make a, a, a top. 10 best moments in a show that's consistently brilliant when there's not really a bad scene in it when multiple when when almost every episode had at least one more than one great and, every, and every scene is important every scene is funny every scene is relevant there's no there's every no scene is one. iconic as well that's yeah. the thing it's so hard this has been so, really there's no difficult. dead material in the but that's why like, there's no dead wood especially yeah. when we went oh, back what, 
Wait for number one, yeah, Stephen Merchant's dad holding the toilet roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, yeah. but I mean, that's a great scene yeah. in his own. Especially yeah. when we went back and analysed it, so I was able to kind of look at it and think about it in a way that I hadn't before. It's essentially a series of sketches put together, like, and they kind of then have strung it together so that there's a story in every episode. But every scene is like a, almost a standalone yeah. sketch. I obviously thought, mm. I, can't, I can almost imagine Gervais and Merchant kind of like, when they first started kind of brainstorming the ideas for the office kind of like oh yeah <laughs> writing I mean, down on a whiteboard like right okay what's some scenes we can have we can have yeah, a scene yeah, where yeah, this yeah, happens yeah. where this happens where this happens right now let's try and kind of sort them into kind of yeah, you can see how they've let's put the kebab skewer yeah. through them and make an, make an episode out of it well yeah. it quite literally is because if you could watch the, the like prototypes for the office you had like you know the yeah. sleazy boss scene stuff like that yeah which was basically just his interview with Cameron Rowe yeah there was that, yeah, it's just a little, little chunks of mm. scenes wasn't it which which again shows why that scene is kind of Almost a little bit jarring and out of place because it's a much older incarnation of Grey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But they just brought I think back, we touched yeah. on that already. Yeah. Number four. Well done. I was going to say to you, Leeds are doing well. What? Lucky. Were they in the league? They do. What are they? What are you talking about? You don't know about football. <laughs> Guilty, I support Reading. <laughs> no, you don't support them. When did you last go to a match? I support football more than them. Yeah, well, I'm more of a rugby man, I don't Admits it, admits it. So. Uh, no dog with you today, David. Oh, do you not see her? She just left. <laughs> Chris, yeah. why don't you fuck off? Now, the question for me is, what's the most iconic moment on The Office, and why is it, Chris, why don't you fuck off? Oh, do you think, you think you that should be number one? Should be number one. For me, that's the most iconic, and that is what I will see when I die. Well, it's the most heartbreaking. What do you mean this one? <laughs> <laughs> that's all flash through his head. Yeah, everyone think I'm, you know, remembering my family and everything. And you'll just see Chris. I'll just be thinking, Chris, want you? I love that. I love the idea of on your, you know, with the life flashing before your eyes. For you, you're just seeing up episodes of The Office. Oh yeah, fuck off. Yeah. And what he ends up thinking is not the fun, not a funny bit. Chris, why don't you fuck off? To be fair, he's right that this is one of the best moments. It is. It easily could be the top one. It's there. the most emotive. It's made me cry. Well, because because Chris is, is so horrible. Because like David's clearly just trying to make conversation. He doesn't work there anymore. He's just he's he's basically begging and imploring with Finch to let him into the conversation and and, and just talk to him and hang out with him and be go back to what it was like and just Finch just absolutely fucks him over and oh it's perfect man and there's also so the smugness with Neil you suddenly realise oh. those two are actually good friends yeah. never have never have six words said so much yeah yeah Chris why don't you and, fuck yeah. off yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. just, just counting them up on the fingers yeah. there and, and um, yeah this is something my dad said actually about this I think I brought this up before but said Danny why don't you fuck off <laughs> But he also said, like, you know, it's the Christmas party and he's stood in the corner talking to Finchie, so maybe stuff isn't going so well for him. Yeah, no, that's true. And also, where's his girlfriend? Oh, don't no, but talk he, about that again. Don't, don't, don't break up, old Chris. She's probably working nights. At that party, who else do you think Neil's going to speak to? He identifies Chris as he's the alpha male. He's the, they're the cool kids talking in the corner. Yeah. That doesn't show that Neil's a loser. That shows that these two are the cool ones. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Who yeah, else I'd say so. Who else is, well, is, is as cool? The I other mean, people are having fun dancing. These two are standing yeah, in the back. Yeah, and they're just standing there and letching over the other people, aren't they? I think me and James were talking earlier a little bit about Finch and Brent's kind of relationship over the series do you think that that Chris why don't you fuck off is just about that moment or do you think that no. that is a release valve for all of the suppressed resentment that Brent has towards I think it is Finchy yeah because we know that Brent isn't he, he's not a man without uh, self 
consciousness. He's you know not. I mean? Yeah, he's he, it's he, in there somewhere. Yeah. So all the times that Finchie is kind of embarrassed, and we see from the from the pub quiz, he's aware that Finchie's embarrassing him. Yeah. So, mm. but he's just kind of he doesn't want to admit it because it's, Finchie's his cool friend, so he's, he's, he wouldn't, he's, he wouldn't want to yeah. compromise. He's lower on the run. If he admitted that Finchie kind of disrespected him and didn't like him and just kind of mocked him, then that would be admitting that he kind of can't hang out with Finchie anymore, which would kind of like eradicate him having a cool friend. He'd only mm. have Gareth then. But now, obviously, it's got to the point where kind of having, having this evening with Carol has made him think, like, is it worth yeah, hanging yeah. out with someone like Finchie? He restores gonna... a bit of his self-respect for you. Yeah, 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 big yeah, time. Yeah, Even if it's it. just that date and he never sees her again, it does a lot for him in mm. terms of... Yeah. It just also, a little shift in, in, in... Yeah, he knows that someone nice and, and likeable yeah. and respectable who can, can see him for himself. Like yeah. Him. Yeah. But if Brent... Kind of vodka. Yeah. <laughs> if Brent, like, um, sticks up for Finchie when he knows Finchie's being embarrassing, then actually that shows that Brent's got quite a lot of mis- arguably misplaced, but, lo- but still loyalty uh, yeah, to yeah, Finch. Yeah. So what he's really looking for is for Finchie here to reciprocate some of that loyalty that he's shown yeah. him over the years, and he just absolutely throws him under the bus. And uh, you know Neil's a sort of a side character in this. Neil's not really the the, the nasty one here. It's all about Finchie, which is why he gets the bullet. He gets the. So yeah. why does David even go over and try and ingratiate himself? Why does he bother? Because well, he's feeling good about himself. He's yeah. got a bit confident. Maybe he thinks I'm I'm relaxed. You know, I just had a nice evening with Carol. Yeah. I'm kind of like I, I haven't been having to. It's, that's the interesting thing about his evening with Carol is he's not having to perform. He's not mm. trying to tell her jokes. He's literally just he's opening up he to himself. Her. He's so he's, he wants to perform. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's finally done that. So he probably he's probably feeling quite good about himself. Yeah. He mm. walks back into the party. He probably thinks he could just kind of smoothly insert himself into the conversation and maybe, maybe with, with Neil and Chris. Absolutely. And maybe he thinks that you know. They've just seen me have a date. Maybe they're going to take me a little bit more kind yeah, of Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, he's all right, Brent. But yeah. instead, they're just... He's dark horse. Yeah. By every measure, in Brent's yeah. mind, that was a successful date, right? That was, it was. as good as... I think by any measure history. in anyone's mind, yeah, yeah, it's a successful true. date. But except for these two. That's but what I'm saying. I, I, that these, that, that, that these, these aren't your friends. If your friends can't be happy for you when, you, when you're happy... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's something That's in that. That's it. You've hit the nail on the head. It's that moment of like... Even when he's happy, he's feeling really good about himself. He still wants to deflate him. So yeah. that's the moment that Brent just realizes, takes his self-respect back, and says, "No, fuck you." And I, then, I, and that gives every me an and then rush. who does he end up hanging out with for the rest of the evening? <laughs> yeah, Gareth and Tim. Yeah, there exactly. is kind of like there is and not, really not even his fallback, but he knows that like yeah, these are the ones that like. I will get on with and it kind of will kind of treat me all right. Mm. There's something really sweet about that. Yeah. There's something more genuine that they have. Yeah, yeah. Even though they don't love each other and they all kind of, you know, they think Brent's a bit of a knob, but there's something yeah. sweet about the way that they interact compared mm. to Finchie, who's just a bully. Yeah, and at that point, actually think about it, that is quite sweet because at that point, Tim thinks he's lost Dawn. So the people that he falls, he knows he's, you know, he's probably wanting to go home at that point. He's kind of had enough of the evening, but he's staying there for a little bit longer and the people he decides to spend the rest of the evening with are Gareth and, and yeah, Brent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's thinking like at least these two are the ones that I can at least stand. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he doesn't yeah. go over to uh, he's the guy that, that solved a lot. Like he doesn't go over to him. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like he goes over to, to <laughs> Gareth and, and Brent. Um, but one thing I did want to say is interesting about this is that this is the first. We're now into this is the first scene in the top ten in our countdown. But is a series scene. It's not a comedy scene. True. Because like yes. we were saying before, it's not just the best comedy moments. It's the kind of just the best moments. Whether or not they're serious, whether or not they're sad, whether they're emotional, whether they're funny, mm. and so yeah, this is interesting that, that this is. I don't know if any other uh, serious moments have made it, but this is a, if they haven't, then this, this this is this is one of them at least. Yeah, Let's yeah. Find out. All right, before we go on to the final three, we've got to take a moment to think back about how far we've come with this podcast. Mm. We sat in this very room three years ago, almost to the date, and talked about our favourite show. And never occurred to me really that one day we would have the opportunity to talk to the creator or one of the creators, but 
I can't believe I'm about to say this, but that's exactly what's about to happen. So everybody, welcome Ricky Gervais. A little bit of excitement, really. Not sexual. So ladies and gentlemen, as if the 20th anniversary special wasn't special enough, we're thrilled to introduce our very, very special guest, the man who, without whom we wouldn't be here, quite literally, it's Ricky Gervais, as I live and breathe. Welcome to the podcast. How are you, babe? Good, I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on with us, man. It really means so much to us, to the listeners, and just generally the Office fan base. You know, this has been 20 years well spent. Well, I'm, I'm very flattered that people still care. So, uh, yeah, um, my pleasure. When the show started, when, back in 2001, when it was first on, did you even imagine that 20 years later there'd be a bunch of 35-year-olds <laughs> still quoting The Office, still talking about it? No, but um, thinking about it, that's the sort of show I wanted it to be. Yeah. Because all my, my favorite, I was a nerd about my favourite shows from, you know early Monty Python, my generation, when I was 13, 14, you, you bonded at school with, with people who knew Monty Python. That was the cool, that was the cool thing then. Um, and then Faulty Towers, obviously, uh, was, was great, but became mainstream. So I suppose, without thinking about it, that's the sort of gang you wanted to be in. Yeah. Mm. You know, um, I remember buying the, the uh the script book of um 40 towers and uh reading it what a fucking nerd um, <laughs> so, hey. i had the script book yeah. in the office, yeah. <laughs> yeah but exactly so i i suppose you sort of you you, you want to be in that gang with your heroes uh it's not it, it wasn't even a conscious thing i, I wasn't thinking i want to be the new monty python or the new john cleese in fact at the time you, you, you don't really think about your influences. They're just there. They're just inside you. I don't, you don't sit down and think, now, what are my influences? You write and you only realise in retrospect, oh, that's from a film I saw when I was 10 or that's from, my uncle said that. You, you, don't, you don't think about them. Um, uh, in fact, you, you probably think more about your, your contemporaries and the immediate thing you follow. I, I remember thinking, um, I hope I get, some of the fans that like Partridge. That's what I thought at the time. Yeah, yeah. well, I think that's... The Office, I think, absolutely was the um, kind of the next kind of the, the next generation after Partridge. Like, it was absolutely... I, I, I think so, and I think it's... It, 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 uh, certainly at the time, it seemed like the, you know, the, the, the closest thing to it. That, that, that BBC Two, um, uh, you know, mildly satirical uh, character-led comedy but you know both you know Brent and Partridge they're 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 still you know the end of a lineage of you know things before that going back 50 years you know I think in David Brent there's a bit of there's a bit of Tony Hancock there's a bit of Reginald Perrin there's a bit of you know Dad's Army there's a bit of pathos like Steptoe there's a bit of romance like some of the American sitcoms we weren't really doing romantic comedies in England um, uh, traditionally that was more an American thing yeah uh, but you know they, they all go in and you only really re realize them in retrospect no one sits down and says I'm gonna cross friends with partridge no one no one does that <laughs> um, but they're, they're just in you 
They're, they're um, just in you. And of course, the biggest influence, way more than anything that's on telly or anything like that, it was real life. You know, I worked in an office for like nine years. And uh, you, you, you steal really from your friends and family and people you overhear on a bus. Um, and, uh, you know, Brent was a Frankenstein of, you know, guys that I've met or worked with, bad bosses. And the other biggest influence, again, more than comedy, was real docu-soaps. Yeah. Docu-soaps and it was about that. It was, you know, the, those things like airport and... Maureen, yeah, exactly. Yeah, You're a fat bloke. No, obviously not. <laughs> uh, so all the all those things were, and it was about fame as well. It was a thing about. Mm. It was clearly about fame because that's what made it make sense. The fact that it was a fake documentary. If I hadn't been a fake documentary and David Brent wasn't trying to be famous. It would have been an okay, quite mediocre sitcom about some people. It would have been fine. Yeah. But that really elevated it. That really, even the thing of him looking down the lens brought you into it. And you suddenly realised you're watching a man who is desperate to be loved. He's it's funny though, because loved. that's the exact kind of thing that I think has, at the time, I bet when you were writing it, it must have seemed like, oh, this is kind of, that's a very kind of, thing that's unique to this era to 2001 but 20 years yeah. later if this if the same show with the yeah. same was still on it would still be relevant yeah. they, they're still even 20 years later there's still people looking into the camera you know you would still have that kind of bread type person he'd just be on tiktok or something yeah well it was only it wasn't again i didn't think oh this is going to be really zeitgeisty and it's going to really capture you know 2001 yeah. you think it, it's uh it's a traditional sitcom, but it's set in 2001. And the big thing about that was everyone wanting to be famous and docu-soaps and, you know, and uh, political correctness and all those things. They happened to be around at the time, but it would have been different if I'd have written it in 1990 or, you know, 2010. It would have been slightly different. Um, so... The, the, the staples of it are still sitcommy, really. It's a character-led uh, about a, a, a guy who's trying to do something he's not equipped to do. That's the staple of a sitcom, really. Yeah. Um, and I also think, and this is my, my particular theory, it could be bollocks, but <laughs> I also think that the best sitcoms have two things in them. Um, they're... they're they're about a family, either a literal family or a virtual family, whether it's Bilko in the army, that's his family, or yeah. Godber in porridge, that's his family. You know, they're, they're, you know and there, there has to be some sort of um, trap. You have to be caged somehow, otherwise you walk away. You know, that could be literal, like in porridge, or you need the job. Yeah, sorry? I was going to say like Basil Fawlty, you know, he can't even as much exactly. as he wants to sack off he a hotel. He's trapped. No, he wants to. He wants to escape. He wants to escape his his class and his marriage mm. and his boring job. So he's 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 trapped. He's trapped in some way, um, and uh, and most people are trapped in a job they don't like because they need to work. Mm. So it, so at workplace is already you're sort of trapped, you know. And that's why it's funny when someone's got high aspirations, particularly if you're British, because we sort of, 
we sort of, we both envy them and we laugh at them. So when someone, so an ordinary bloke who's working in the paper merchants or, you know, working for, you know, a toilet company wants to be a rock star, it's immediately funny, but we sort of celebrate him for trying as well. Yeah, and yeah. I think that, that, was the, that was the duality of Brent, that um, he, was, he was a bit of a fool, uh, but we liked him for trying. At the end, I think people realised that, do you know what? He's not that bad. He's just been sold a, a bum deal. He's been told that fame will sort it out for him. Mm-hmm. So we sort of, I think we like Brent deep down. And I always did. I, it was always confused me that the go-to, the go-to headline was the boss from hell. Now he's not a boss from hell. There are some fucking terrible bosses out there. He's right? exactly this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm very much team. I'm always very much team Brent. These guys, they're more on Neil's side. I always think. <laughs> I think on Neil's side. Study, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we've said before. If we were in that, I'd when, rather. When Brent did that speech to the Swindon lot. We would have been sitting there laughing. I'd have been, I'd have, <laughs> yeah. And I could see, I could see quite a lot of the cast were struggling not to laugh as well. Yeah, which yeah, which yeah. is, I think, is exactly what you would be doing if your if your new boss was doing that. You'd be I, like, I agree. And I think, I think if you if you're in a junior position in that firm, that you'd probably you'd probably want to be um, liked by Neil because he's sort of dynamic and he's right and you you know. But then then all Neil has to do is slag off Brent and you think, oh, you know what? Brent, Brent is not too bad. And that's what Neil was sort of for, in a yeah. way. He was better at Brent than everything. But no one likes a winner. Um, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Brent needed that job. Brent needed that job. And uh, I don't think we like Neil for being better at him than ev- everything. And, and Brent absolutely became more sympathetic once Neil came in because I mean this is yeah. just us mm. this is us way over analyzing it and watching every episode and talking about every episode for an hour and a half but especially in the first series there seems like where Brent pulls the um the, the post-it yeah, prank, the prank on, on Dawn on Dawn or looking where, up Karen Roper's skirt yeah 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 looking up Karen Roper's skirt or when he um what was it when he kind of questions the um the, the girl that's living with him yeah, about well, about about sleeping with uh, the temp but, and it's it, 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 it's kind of he's kind of going towards that slightly unsympathetic era cd boss you could, yeah, you could say. yeah exactly yeah. But, but then as, as soon as when series two starts and and you've got and you've got neil there absolutely all those things kind of get but the slate is clear because clean because you're kind of feeling so sorry for him because you know that he's got this person who he's trying to you know who he's his well, that's right and um i i, I think that um you sort of forgive Brent warts and all because he's he's not really malicious. Yeah. He he doesn't know how to act. And one of the big themes of it is political correctness. And he wants to be loved by everyone. And he's heard this thing, political correctness. Um, but he doesn't quite get it. Yeah, so yeah. he tries too hard. He wants to walk into a room and go, I am not a racist. And then, you know, <laughs> it's, it's so he's so aware of it. But yeah. it, it, he's got that sort of white middle class angst, and um, which again uh, is still it's still relevant. Today. So yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear you guys. You're talking about like the 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 the, the times at the, you know what the times were like when this show came out. I kind of always think that The Office was so influential that actually David Brent and these mannerisms have kind of 
bled out into society and sort of created some of the culture that we see around us like for example us three would not be the same people if it hadn't been for these mannerisms sort of dripping into our lives and 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 just mm-hmm. we just in, you know and, and I, this is a, for us same for a lot of fans you know they kind of enjoy the awkward scenes a little bit in life more these days and there's a whole generation mm-hmm. of people who kind of read that kind of office style david brenty kind of characters and personality into people like boris johnson or you know yes. or other celebrities yeah. or, you know what i mean well, that, that, that's true. It's because I think it's like, um, it, we're not impressionists. So yeah. we, we can't do impressions of people. But when we see an impressionist do an impression of people, we suddenly can. Because yeah. they've done a sort of painting by numbers for us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Brent did for people who are sort of slightly pretentious, um, uh, that are slightly... Uh, 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 vain mid that sort of um that midlife crisis he he sort of showed a people a character of all those things so it's then easier to go and you're right it comes down to the mind you shy if someone says something like so people go brent they go well i know you're allowed to say so at the end of the season. <laughs> so, people who really know it well um people can't even go yeah uh, you know, it's like a dog whistle, though. Do you know what I mean? If you if you're yeah. in a party with people you don't know, and someone's serving cake, and you just say, "Oh, I prefer a flan," someone will uh, their eyes will light up. <laughs> yeah. That's absolutely what my first week of university. <laughs> that's literally how we make friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, whoa. That was every if, house party if, first year of uni. If someone at a party ever says, I prefer a flan, you're allowed to think of David Brent. They do it on purpose to find like-minded friends in a crowded room of people you don't know, because you can just blow that dog whistle. And before you know it, you'll have people popping up wanting to be your friends and you'll be the most popular guy at the party. Or you might be yeah, able well, to there, there there there. <laughs> Yeah, you've just signed yeah, well, There are some right. iconic things that are particular to Brent that most people don't say. Like that. I, I remember the day we filmed that uh, on the way to work, Martin Freeman always used to text me like the, the, the danger line for him that he'd corpse. <laughs> and that day he just texted me um, a danger word, flan. <laughs> I think Brent became an emblem for, for you know, half a dozen traits in people. Um, but mainly it was he wanted to be loved and he wanted to be the life and soul of the party and he wanted to be a philosopher and he wanted to be thought, and really it's highlighting um, what's in everyone. That's all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just gave them all to one person. Um, do, do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. that, we're, all, we're all like that. We all want to be loved. We all want to be thought of as smart. We all want to, you know, be the center of attention sometimes. We all want a pat on the back. Um, uh, but uh, Brent just just says it out loud. He, he just you know he um, he thought it would sort his and and clearly he's not he wasn't happy and he wasn't as smart as he wanted to be and he didn't understand politics like he wanted to and he and he wasn't a, a you know the rock star he wanted to be. Um, so it is sort of all about those aspirations and failure, as I said earlier. You know, an ordinary guy trying to do something he's not equipped to do. If he just got on with his job and he did it okay and he never made bad jokes, then that wouldn't be interesting. But we, success isn't funny. 
success isn't interesting or funny. You know? <laughs> interesting. And I think we can we can we can sense it, and uh, and it seems very British. Uh, it's it's the it's the trying that matters. And again, I, I learned that from Laurel and Hardy. They were all they were they were in the worst situation. They shared a bed. They were they were you know in a depression, and yet they had these highfalutin ideas. And it was always immediately funny when when Ollie said, "I've got a great idea." Well, it wasn't going to work. It couldn't work. You know, um, you you can't you can't do the lottery and win in a sitcom. You you've got to have small victories, and yes. the small victories are just enough for you to get up and do it again the next day. That's all you want from someone. That um, they don't just they don't you know just give up. That's not that sad and not funny. And they don't become a great success. You know, this isn't some sort of weird ITV drama from the nineties when you know someone becomes an actual rock star. You know, so it is, they've got to fail to a certain degree and succeed in another. That's all. I think that's a really good summary, actually, because one of the things we t- we've, we've talked about is the arc of, and the journey of, of Tim and Dawn, because obviously that's such a huge, crucial component of of, of the office and. Just like what you were saying before around everybody being trapped in a in a in a in a in a workspace, that's obviously exemplified by Tim perfectly because he actually doesn't manage to break out. He he tries and he pushes against it so many times. And then we have this huge cathartic release at the end when finally he sort of breaks the conditioning that we've been taught to feel as office fans that things are never going to get better, actually. You know, that's that was quite a, a new way of feeling about a TV show, I remember feeling. Yeah, well, Tim was us. Tim mm. was us watching. He was sort of normal, he was quite funny. Um, he he looked at the camera when Finch was being disgusting or misogynistic. So he was us. If I'd have, if I'd have allowed, uh, you know, some people like um, Finchy. Some people think he was the life and soul of the party. You know that, that maybe sometimes they liked him for the wrong reasons. But if I'd have just let him do that without Tim looking at the camera and going, "Are you getting this, asshole?" That would have been a different show. Yeah, so yeah. Tim had to be us. He had to be our conscience. Again, he wanted something. He wanted Dawn. Um, and uh, he was trapped for two reasons. One, she had a boyfriend. Two, we would see him trying. Yeah. The camera. He had to... He said no, so, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I remember um, the, the great discovery uh, was that if we showed uh, Tim looking at Dawn, but then look away when she looked up and the camera was across the side of the room, it said it all. Yeah. It just said it all. Were, um, the, were the looks of a camera, was that something that was in the scripts when you and Stephen were writing them or was that something you discovered on, on set? Both. We didn't, we, didn't, we didn't ever in the script say looks at camera. That would be at the um, uh, directoral stage. Yeah. And sometimes people would do it once they got it and do it instinctively. And sometimes too much and we'd cut some out or, uh, but it became, it became sort of obvious when and when not to do it. Uh, But no, it wasn't, it was those, those sort of things. I mean, that's almost an insult to an actor looks at camera. (laughs) <laughs> um, like me in the script for me touches tie yeah. you know, the ticks that you have at your disposal and um you, to, to add 
that's that's much that's down the line you don't usually write that in fact uh it became more and more an explanation in uh into body language because i wasn't a trained actor so i i loved i loved sort of emulate in real life more than um if i'd have been a trained actor i'm sure i'd have done it differently yeah yeah like keep degwin in extras absolutely, <laughs> yeah. absolutely professional yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 exactly exactly and I've, I've tried to hold on to that and you know you do different things and it, you know uh it was great that i started with a fake documentary format because it yeah. it taught me so much it taught me so much and it taught me so much about acting as well because it it, it it helped you feel real mm. Do you know what I mean? It's it's yeah, an odd thing yeah. when there's no when you're when to ignore the cameras and you know you're not you're you're acting. It's easier than when you know there's a documentary crew there and you're meant to be in a documentary. Yeah, it, yeah. it helps. It helps you think that way. And I remember when we were casting that you know before the office people didn't act like that, and so. Yeah. We were getting people that, you know, were were doing comedy more traditionally, like putting on a funny voice or something, or being too broad. Or there were theatre actors and they were shouting. Now oh, you don't need to shout. Yeah. And then and nowadays, when I audition for something, they come in acting like they're in the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's uh, twenty years of that. Um, and you want to you want to keep a bit of the naturalism, but. Obviously, you can't look at the camera. Um, so obviously, <laughs> I'll break the illusion. Yeah, exactly. I've I've kept the same sort of style, uh, and I've done a couple of fake documentaries since, and some not fake documentaries, and they're they're both great, and they're they're both they've both got pros and cons. Um, but the the great thing about the fake documentary, particularly then, was that people understood what they're meant to be watching. Yeah, they knew they were watching a man who wanted to be famous, and that—that that is by. Obviously, I like to think that it's well written and well acted and all that, but the key to its success is that people knew this was a man who wanted to be famous. Yeah, <laughs> you kind of yeah, it, it came along at the exact right time where the concept was still new and the kind of the the except for like you know Christopher Guest films and mm. stuff, the whole mockumentary hadn't been done to death. But yeah. people also knew the format. They knew what they. I mean, I think I heard from a couple of for the first like week or so, people weren't sure whether or not it was real or not. Oh, I but, thought it was real, but, but eventually, <laughs> really? people got the idea. oh, that's right. Because my ambition was that I wanted people for the first two minutes think it's real. And I remember, I I didn't do the second series of Meet with the Gervais because I was scared I'd become too recognisable. <laughs> I wanted to. Oh, um, which is which is silly, which is naive, because people, you know, they don't care. And by the second series, you are recognisable. And then after winning a couple of answers, yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> it's so yeah. great to think of the cast as not being recognisable at the time. Because think about who we've got. We're talking about sort of Mackenzie Crook and you know, and everybody yeah. else. There's, I mean, Martin Freeman is absolutely massive. Yeah. You know, these yeah. are kind of absolutely catapulted these guys into you know the echelons of of of, of you know A class fame. But it, but it was it was important that they weren't famous at the time, mm. you know. And I, and I, 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 met, I bumped into Mackenzie um, on eleven o'clock show. I, I met Martin Freeman when I wrote um, uh, for Bruiser. 
the sketch show. Yeah. Um, uh, but the important thing was that when that went out on BBC Two, I wanted some people to go, is this a documentary? And, uh, yeah, I've known and it's funny, you know, that's great. That's great. No, that's, that's quite, that's exactly, that's exactly uh, you know, uh, you know you, you, you've got these ambitions, whether they fall short or not, but at least you, you know, you, you want them there. And uh, I, I uh, and after The Office went out, I got a call from Christopher Guest, who had been, you know, a hero of mine. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, I was blown away that he he loved it. Um, and he invited me to do uh, his next his next film. Um, and that's slightly different, actually, because that's... People thought The Office was improv, and it's not. But his is improv. He writes, yeah. like, you know, 20-page... He knows where you're going, and... He does the scenes at, at the time when it was filmed. He had seven minutes in the reel. And he'd go, for example, this one scene I was in, uh, he says, oh, this is where you try and get them to change the name of the movie. Yeah. And that's all he said. And then we just had lived for seven minutes. And he went, okay. Uh, and he does that. He, he, he films for three weeks. And then it takes him, with two cameras, then it takes him like nine months to edit it. Wow. Um, but it's 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 very different. And their characters, even though it's meant to be a documentary, he never mentions it and they don't look at the, they don't look down the lens. Yeah. So it could be it could be Eye of God or documentary. Because mm. he never hammers it home like we did. Um so it's very very interesting how he does it. He's almost got a hybrid, he's got the best of both worlds. Yeah, uh, so people are acting strange, and it's being captured. And he does do talking heads, um, uh, but when it's in a scene, they don't get caught by the camera or, or, or look down the lens like like we do. It didn't happen. Watching it back when we when we were you know like I said, <laughs> watching every episode, analysing it for two hours a week on this podcast. <laughs> even though the looking down the lens, for example, became like a staple of our when people do parodies of The Office, that's what they did. They had everyone looking down yeah. the lens. It doesn't happen that often, and it's really only uh, Brent and Tim that do it. And it really only yeah. happened. I remember for, for for our Twitter feed, I did like a montage of, of of people looking down the lens. And obviously, honestly, it happens a couple of times a series at, at kind of pivotal moments. So you didn't overdo it. Like it wasn't. No, well, and we do it for different reasons. Yeah. Um, Tim does it because he wants to go. Are you getting this? This is my life. Look <laughs> what this idiot's saying. He can't yeah. believe it's luck, right? Brent does it when he's caught out and he goes, oh, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, it just reminds us that he didn't want that to sure. come out like that. He didn't want, he didn't want the joke to fall flat or caught, be caught lying by, um, you know, Jennifer, he, you know, so it just, it just, ah, <laughs> oh, it's like, ah, oh, I've been caught again. So I it was I can't believe your recall for these little moments yeah. that happened 20 yeah. years ago. <laughs> do, you, do, you, well, do you watch it back often? Not often, but... I've, never, I've, I've never, never sat down and watched The Office uh, again. No, I've never, never done that. But I, I, I do still see... Also, I saw it a hundred times in the edit. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's ingrained, but I still forget things. But Twitter... 
has brought it all back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I was going to say it's that still... you mentioned about like the Monty Python quoting in the playground. The modern playground is is Facebook and Twitter, and it's and these groups are not five or six boys. That's right. they're, they're like five or six thirty-five year old men. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is it is the new common consciousness because yeah. you know again when you're watching Monty Python, everyone watched it on the Monday night at the same time and talked about it Tuesday. Right. Um, we haven't got that, but now it's constant. Now it's always there. You know, Netflix and you know uh, all the iPlayer, whatever it is, always there, and so is Twitter. So yeah. the common consciousness now is constant. It's any hour of the day, someone's up, and it's someone's up somewhere to do that. And I remember when I first got on Twitter. I mean, uh, someone someone sent me, "Who does your tampons?" Right, yeah. and I thought. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's a oh, that's a line from the office, right? And so, uh, and that, and again, that's that's an example of something that happened to me when I when I worked in an office. Um, uh, we were in a sort of open plan office, and I remember um, the the house manager used to avoid um, reps because reps used to come and they used to pretend to be your mate and show you their holiday photos and then go, "Do you need anything?" And you'd, you'd buy some, like like a door-to-door salesman, you'd buy a rag to get away, right? And uh, I remember this one guy coming in and bothering the house manager, and he said, can I ask you something? I go, yeah, he said, who does your tampons? <laughs> and I'm at my desk, and I just thought that was one of the funniest things I've ever heard. <laughs> did you laugh? Did you first start laughing, or did you just look down the camera? Oh, yeah, well, I waited till he went. I waited till he went. So, so all, the, all those things in life, they're never wasted. Yeah, all yeah. Things that, that make you laugh, and I laugh at some every single day. And uh, it makes you, you make you feel good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, they, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I just think they're they're, they're never wasted. And uh, you know, the, the the real things are the funniest because you could write a line like that. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, um, every, everything sort of based in either did happen or it could have happened, and uh, and same as the characters, you know, um, like you, you know, there's 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 been characters like uh, Gareth before, but the the Gareth in this was based on a guy I went to school with um, when I was fourteen. That's why he sort of an adolescent. I won't say his real name, but I, I did t- I do talk about him on my stand up. He's the guy that said, if you get captured by cannibals, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you see pornographic pictures, so you're going re- to get an erection and there's more meat. Yeah. Again, I just, you know, you, we give those, gave those things to, uh, to Gareth. Um, and so all, all those little things, all those life experiences, think how many thoughts you have every day, how many people you speak to every day. And, I, you know, I came to the office when I was like 39. So... Think of all the millions of billions of stupid fucking things. Hey, I've heard. Not, not just the not, things you hear in normal society. You hang around with Carl Pilkington, let's not forget. So, well, do you know what I mean? Yeah, that guy. The, office, the, the office was actually before I met him, but yes, um, uh, exactly. And, uh, and, he's, and he's real. I think people <laughs> the character, but you know, that you have to explain. No, no, he's a, he's a real human being. <laughs> 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry, Ricky, I'm going to have to stop you there. Uh, we are running out of time for this episode, I'm afraid. So um, if you don't mind, maybe pop back tomorrow. Yeah? Oh, yeah, I think he's, he's uh, 
seems to have scuttled off. God, jabber, jabber, jabber. Yeah, I know. GBH to the ears. Not for me, thanks. Back to the drawing board. Yeah, no. Ah, well, we'll hear more from Ricky in episode two. So see you later, Ricky. Um, and, but for, as for the rest of you, make sure you listen to part two of the 20th anniversary special, which has also just gone up on iTunes as well, where we go into the final top moments as voted for by you and the end of our exclusive interview with Ricky. See you in part two. What's the vibe in the second half? <laughs> <laughs> More of these. It's boring, isn't it? Fans with an autistic.